Howdy. Howdy. How you like that Western theme? <laughs> Glad that you are here this weekend. Uh, if you'll grab the notes that you were handed on your way in, do that at all of our campuses right now. Get them out and get ready. While you're doing that, I got a couple of housekeeping items. Last week, I uh, had the men's advance, and Dan and a friend of ours, Steve Anderson, taught up there and did a tremendous job. But down here, Pastor Marcus taught for all the campuses last weekend. Marcus did a great job, and I'd like to thank him. We put our hands together and just let him know how much we appreciate his ministry and just the whole team, man, does an awesome job. Um, folks, if you, uh, uh, if you look at this, go to JFC. Uh, we, were, we were in a series, not quite done with it, and um, I think we felt as a team, me in particular, when I came into our teaching team this last uh, week, I felt like the Lord had put something in my heart, told me to stop where we were going with the other thing and to start something new. And it'll make sense as I read to you something that I need to, uh, to read right now. This goes to all of our campuses. Um, I, I, I wrote it because I wanted to make sure and, I, and, and cover everything I need to cover, say it the way that it needs to be said. Um, in, in, in essence, if, uh, if you're a visitor here, this isn't for you. This is for people who call JFC their home. So I'll let you sort of decide in your mind right now the level of importance that you would put on the words that I'm about to say. And if you're just checking it out for sure, you just sit back and kind of make your way through this and tolerate me for just a second. And if you call JFC your home, please sit forward and listen to me for just a minute. Uh, I need to talk to everyone who considers JFC to be their home. We have a pretty serious and significant issue concerning giving right now. Uh, for the past six months, our giving is down considerably. Now, we traced it back, looking at it with our business department. What's going on? There's two issues that we can trace it to. We've had a ton of projects since the first of the year, and a lot of our funds that are given normally in tide were designated towards the projects. And from time to time, I will say, if you have to choose between the two, always give your tithe, because if you designate it, it doesn't help. You're actually taking away from the other areas where we pay the normal things that we have to pay. And then if we do a project, you, if you're forced to choose, what, what would you do at your house? You put projects on hold and you have to do the normal things. Well, we don't get that luxury. If it's designated money, we put it to where the designation goes. So the designation was one of the things. And the second one just simply is this, that uh, as it stands right now, year to date, we are off. Uh, a pretty significant amount. Uh, our giving continues to be down. Here's what we did back in May. I came to you, and I don't even know if you'll remember this. Maybe it wasn't uh, significant in your mind at the time, but I said we are going to internally uh, begin to measure our discretionary spending and cut it off. We're just going to stop it and uh, look to see if we can't turn it around at that level. Well, there was a bit of a change with that, but not enough. We're off about $30,000 a month. Over a six-month time period, it's almost $200,000 is what it equals out. All right, so pastor, what are you saying? Here's what we've had to do just this month. We made some pretty big adjustments to payroll, uh, including uh, cuts to that. Uh, we had to do away with benefits that we no longer are able to offer the staff, and we reduced some of the size of the staff. Everybody is participating in this. For me, who is the founding pastor, down to the newest person, who's going to work here in just the last uh, several months. All right, so what do I need from you? This is what I, I need. Um, if you love your church, this is a wonderful time to get involved. If you are a person who is sitting out there going, Pastor, what does this mean? Give. That's what it means. We need you right now. It, bottom line, here, here's, here's what, uh, what, what is crucial to us. We need one-time gifts for sure. If you're sitting there thinking, well, we could do something one time, for sure we need that. 
But even more crucial is consistent undesignated tithes. Money that's just given as the tithe, the part that belongs to God that allows the church to do the work of the church. For instance, we get a light bill like you get at home. I bet you can't write on your light bill, thank you for your giving to the Lord. We can't either. Public service wants the money. You get it? We have many places where we have to pay a light bill at. All right. So if you want to help, today isn't too soon. I can't stress that enough. Today is not too soon. What could you do? Go online. You could do it that way. You could still, at your campus today, make a difference and give there. Now, let me say this so that you clearly understand. God is all of our source. He's not just the staff source. He's your source, too. Everybody has to participate in this because everybody is the answer to taking care of this issue. Now, I don't know any other way to make it as clear as I did. I um, am exceptionally not good, I don't think, at, at talking about money. And in fact, I downplay it most of the time. I think that probably where a lot of people have trouble with church is that they think the church talks too much about money. Well, maybe here's the other side. If we don't talk about it much at all, sometimes it ends up in situations where you have to spend a few minutes and go back over what's important and what's necessary. And that's what's being said to all of our campuses right now. It's not just a Lone Tree issue, but it's a Highlands Ranch, a Castle Rock, a Lakewood. And even if you listen online and consider that to be your campus, then there's still a responsibility towards our church that I would encourage you to participate in. So again, and you love your church, it is a great time to be involved. And I'm going to say one last thing. This is just utilizing something that as pastor has been given to me. Uh, I try never to abuse it. I try very rarely to ever pull it out of my pocket. But I know I've got several families in our church over the years who have said, hey, um, we've got means, and if you ever need something, if there's an emergency or there's some project or something specific, let us know. I'm letting you know. This is that time. There's not a more critical time that I could come to you and say, uh, give or be a part of it. This is that time. It's significant. It's important. And uh, it, it is as straightforward as I'm telling you right now. All right. So let me go back then to what we're teaching on. So I changed the series. And if you look at your notes, here's what I called it. Tomorrow. And where'd that come from? Psalms chapter 30, verse 56. David in a time in his life of dealing with pressure, dealing with conflict, dealing with a lot of trouble, wrote these really powerful words. Weeping may endure for a night. Read this part out loud with me on the count of three. One, two, three. But joy comes in the morning. How many of you know, no matter what we face today, God does promise us a tomorrow? Oh, wow, three. Hey, try again. No matter what we face today, God does promise us a tomorrow. If you're a believer, that is the thing that we always hold on. God does not ever, one time in his word, tell us that we are mutually excluded from going through trouble because we're believers. In fact, the opposite may be true. The fact that you are a believer means that you run resistance in your life from a number of areas. A world who runs counterclockwise to the way that you run your life. How about an enemy who hates you and would do anything he could to take you down? And how about this fun little fact right here? Just the weight that we all live with in the society at large. Sometimes finances go against us. Sometimes people go against us. Sometimes business doesn't work the way we want. Sometimes health doesn't go the way we want to. It doesn't mean that we got to take the personal out of it. It is not the proof that God is against us. It's the proof that we have an enemy. Yeah, how about that? 
So where do you focus in the middle of those things? Well, I think David said it probably as good as anybody can say it. Things may happen today that cause pain, but we have a tomorrow that we've got to look to. So I put down three things not in your note. When I was driving over here, trying to categorize in my mind, when you're dealing with trouble, what are the three things, Ben, if you have to just forget everything else? What do you have to do? What do you need to remember? Let me give you three things. One of them came from uh, our business administrator, uh, uh, Pastor Todd. Todd said to me, one of the things we all need to realize, all storms have an ending. If you didn't say amen, maybe your storm will never end, so I'll try it one more time. All storms have an ending. Any storm you ever see, unless you live on Mars. I guess there's a storm there that's been going on for like 2,000 years or something. But you don't live on Mars. You live on the earth, and no matter how bad the storm is, it all has an ending, doesn't it? No storm lasts forever. How about this one right here? You need to remember, if you're a believer, that God is for you and not against you. How significant is that? And then last but not least, I think this is a way to categorize problems too. There are first world and third world problems. And I shared this with our staff when we had to talk about some of the changes that are happening right now. And this is what I brought to them. I said that when you look at problems, hey, they're relative to the person going through them because problems hurt when you go through them. No question about it. But there are differences in levels of problem. Let me give you a first world problem. I had it happen this week. I had to go to the Genius Bar at the Apple Store, and I could not get the time that was convenient for me. Now, that's a problem, but that's not the difference between eating or not eating. I ran low on gas, was late to an appointment. Oh, I was mad about it. But as I put it in category, it was because my car <laughs> was low on gas. I didn't have to walk 10 miles. <laughs> the heel on my shoe is getting significantly lower. But I have a shoe. You get the difference between problems? First world problems. My heat bill was too high. The air condition was too cold. My seat, they moved back two rows, and now I have to sit a little farther from the pulpit. Third world problems. If we meet and we're too loud when we sing, they may bust in and kill us all. Half my family was wiped out because of an AIDS epidemic in my village. There are first world and third world problems. You get it? I think whenever we go through problems, hey, don't get me wrong. Look, stuff hurts. Death is death. Disease is disease. Trouble is trouble. But then there's relative issues that sometimes when we go through things, we need to just categorize it in the way that it's most necessary to look at it, that there's first world issues that we face. And then there's third world issues that people can't get away from. It helps us just to put it in perspective. So let me just go this way with the message. If you ever deal with trouble, problems, or pain, maybe that'd be a good place to ask the question, anybody in here know somebody that knows somebody that ever dealt with trouble, problems, or pain? Yeah. So what does that make you? How about normal? What does it make you if you deal with trouble, problems, or pain? Pretty normal. Jesus taught it this way, John chapter 16, verse 33. I love this verse. It's a verse that I hold on to. Look what Christ says. I have told you these things 
so that in me you may have peace. So in other words, God tells us things ahead of time so that when they happen to us, we don't panic like, God, where are you? Or why are you allowing this to happen? Or God, don't you care? He tells us ahead of time so that we recognize he doesn't leave us when we face a problem. But it doesn't eliminate the fact that we face problems. And then Jesus goes on to say these really powerful words. Look at this right here. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have, what's it say? Trouble. Trouble, But take heart, I've overcome the world. (laughs) So let me then deal over the next few weeks with how to handle trouble. Now in this series, here's what I'm going to deal with. Today it's going to be pretty wide, pretty broad, pretty open, pretty like engaging to pull a lot of people who, listen, for some of you right now, this may not be a message that's super relative to you. Maybe in your life, everything's as good as it's ever been. What would I tell you? Fold the notes up, put them in your back pocket, and wait a little while. Because if you live long enough, you know it's all cyclical, yes or no. What do I think about a trial? You're in one, you just came out of one, or guess what? You're going in one. Well, it's pretty negative. No, it's called life. And Jesus said it, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not, I've overcome the world. How many people, I wonder, spend their life trying to avoid going through trouble when trouble may be the number one way we know God like nothing else? Everybody prays this prayer. Jesus, I want to be desperate for you. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be like you. Anybody ever pray that prayer? Here's what we think God will do. We think when we pray that prayer, God is going to reach his hand down and touch my heart, and when I walk away, I'll feel that way. No. Some think in terms of God being gentle with our pride. God is not gentle when it comes to our pride. God does not want to hurt your pride. God wants to crush your pride. And few things in life do that quicker than trouble, yes or no. It brings a reality to what we're doing and how we're doing and what we need to be doing quicker than anything I know. You can say it with your mouth, but until you go through it, how about this? I heard a guy preach one time, and he said, believers' lives are much like tea bags. They're not worth much till they go through hot water. <laughs> Some truth to that, huh? I guess maybe another way to say it is you don't know what's in you till you go through the hot water. And then sometimes you don't like finding out what's in you when you go through the hot water. But it's all supposed to produce Jesus in us. So if I was to just teach on this, how to handle trouble. So let me just give you three things that I think are necessary for today in this series. Here's what I want to deal with. I'll deal with tragedy. I think there's probably far too little teaching on how to deal with tragedy. I think we live in a world where there is tragedy. We see it a lot around us. And some of us have been personally affected by tragedy. I'll talk about tragedy. One of the messages, I'll talk about disappointment with God. Now, I know for some of you, theologically, you have trouble with that wording. How could you ever be disappointed with God? Maybe in the message, allow me the liberty to use the wording that in our minds we can be disappointed with God, but God's not really where the problem's at. Next week, I'm going to talk about worry. Probably only affects two or three people out of three or 4,000 that hit our church. I know. So would you be patient with the two or three people next week? And then today, it's a little more broad-based, how to handle trouble. All right, so number one, let me give it to you. And this is just, this is as fresh as it can be, folks. This is as fresh as it can be. How to handle trouble. Number one, learn to live in today. Those are easy words to say to somebody. They're very trite words. It's sort of like the words where Jesus said, when someone comes to you and they're hurting, don't pat them on the back and say, hey, God bless you, be warm and well-fed. Do something about it. 
So these words aren't just sitting here patting you on the back, living today. Let me talk to you about what I mean. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Look at this sentence. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You live long enough to know that's true. All right, when I say living today, here's how you handle trouble and why it's important. How many of you believe in God's grace? All right, so if I ask a definition real quick, here is a theological definition of God's grace. It's God's ability at work in you. Okay, good for you. You nailed it theologically. You got past Bible 101. What does it mean? How does it play out? How does it work? What does it look like in the real world? Here's what I would tell you about God's grace. God gives his grace, his ability at work in you in all of our lives. But it only works in the 24 hours you call today. It never works tomorrow and it doesn't work yesterday. So for instance, if you regret things in your past and you go back there and you live there, have you ever noticed that there's no grace that covers the things in your past when you go and live there? Now, when you ask for mercy today, God does cover those things. He forgives those things. But if you go back and live in those things, there's no grace. And what do you do? Condemn, beat yourself, and the only one there is the enemy to prove to you what you did was lousy. All right, so good. But here's the problem with most people. It's not the past they deal with. It's tomorrow they're worried about. So we're faced with all difficulties in life and things that aren't going our way and problems that may or may not. I know there's a guy in our church. I trust him. He's, he's older than me. He's been through life. This is what he said to me. 90% of what we worry about never comes to pass. God, how true that is. But that lousy 10%. Ugh. And it's so easy to focus on what I need to do tomorrow. What's going to happen tomorrow? How am I going to... And here's the deal. When you go to live in tomorrow, it's the same principles as the past. God's not in Tomorrow. God's grace is active right now in your life today. This is what Jesus said. Live in today. Tomorrow will take care of itself. There's enough evil in its own self to worry about that. Just live right now. Here's what I know. Maybe the most significant thing I have learned in my life about dealing with problems and why you need to live in today. I tend to be a person who can get very fixed on how I fix it so I go forward into the future thinking of all the things that could possibly be wrong, and then I work my way backwards trying to guard against, hedge, or make, make my life where those things can't come true. Does that, make, does that make sense at all? And here's the problem. When you go to live in tomorrow, the people that need you today, you can't be there for them, and that's the worst thing about it. The people in your life that matter the most, your wife, your friends, your children, your church... If you are so focused on tomorrow and so worried about it and you live your life there, the people that need you emotionally now cannot have you because you are, your body's there, but your soul and your spirit and your mind are not. Yes or no? And then here's the worst thing about that. If you live tomorrow, the people in your today can't come and live into your tomorrow. So you're an isolated person. And you carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, trying to deal with all of the problems and you sulk, and the pressure gets you, and you're underneath it, and nobody can help you because no one can come from your today to live into your tomorrow. They're only right here. If you can't come back to today, no one can help you. If you can't come back to today, you can't help anybody. Living in today is one of the most crucial things you've got to be able to do. I think many of us ask the question, what do I need to do to fix it? Here's the answer. 
live today. Figure out what to do today, and it will produce what happens tomorrow. Make the right decisions today. All right, let me, let me go this way. If you're in trouble, if you're dealing with, if there are things that you just can't control going on in your life, all right, one, live today. How about this? God offers the great exchange. In 1 Peter chapter 5, this is one of those chapters where, dude, if you are going through stuff, this is a great chapter for you to go back and read. Peter deals with how to deal with problems. In 1 Peter 5, 7, this is one of the things that he advises all believers to do. Look at the sincerity of his words. Cast all your anxiety on him, Jesus, because Jesus cares for you. How many of you love that verse right there? Cast all, now, I'm asking you a question. I have quoted that 10,000 times to other people. I want to ask you a question. How do you actually do that in your life? What does that mean? Take all your problems. Here, Lord, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to go play. You got it, right? Does it mean that? Does it mean, hey, God helps those who help themselves? I mean, what does it mean? How do you do it? So I tried to think, if I was going to give an illustration to try to, like, show a little bit about this, uh, I, I've got one that maybe will help you see, but let me, let me just go a little bit further down, and I'll hit the illustration right here. I put right below that, cares are like rabbits. They love to multiply, yes or no? <laughs> Take on one, and you will have 50 by the time you recognize what you've done. Yes or no? Let me tell you about rabbits. My house has 10 million of them right now. If you need one, come see me afterwards. I'll give you all you need. They're eating my grass as I'm here speaking to you. Cares are like rabbits. They love to multiply. Let me talk to you quickly about the reality of anxiety. The reality of anxiety. Jesus taught this. I think it's significant wording that needs to be paid attention by every believer. In Mark chapter 4, verse 19, Christ is talking about the sower who scatters the seed. He talks about the different place that he scatters the seed and the result of how the seed grows up and what it produces. Interestingly enough, three of the four times that Jesus talks about the sower sowing the seed, three of the four times the seed doesn't produce what the intention of the sower had in his mind. But the one time it does produce, it produces a 30, 60, and 100-fold return. It only takes one seed to be more than the other times you sowed. Let me say this, though. The reality of anxiety. So Mark chapter 4, verse 19. The worries of this life. Do you think it's legitimate to substitute the word troubles for worries right there? Could I say the troubles of this life? Let me try that again. Church, help me out. Lakewood people, respond right now. Are troubles as good as worries? Not you guys. You had your chance. <laughs> Castle Rock people. Castle Rock. Let me hear you right now. Are troubles as good as worries? Yes. Highlands Ranch, same thing, right? Troubles are as good as worries. Okay. Lone Tree, are troubles as good as worries? Yeah, yeah that's what I think, too. So I could probably put that word interchange there. So the worries of this life or the troubles of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in, and what do they do to the word? They choke it, making it what? The very word worry 
if you are like a person who likes to study, look it up on a dictionary definition. The word worry means to choke. Worry chokes you. Worry in its beginning, it doesn't, it's a slow poison. You pick up cares, you pick up the different worries of this life and the troubles that come with this life, and the reality is initially you think you're okay, but they begin to multiply on you, and the worry multiplies on you, it begins to choke you. Here's what Jesus says it does. It chokes the word of God out of you so that it becomes unfruitful in your life. So you hear a message. Listen to me. Are you give money, or you go to church, or you do all the Christian things, but there's no great fruit in your life. Could it be that one of the key issues to seeing reaping happening in our lives is that we've got to give up worry because worry, when it comes in, and problems and trouble, if we don't deal with them right, they choke the very word of God. We could be doing all the Christian things, but if we worry, it chokes the very seed of God out of our life. It doesn't produce any fruit. How, I, I would think that the height of frustration is to be doing all the stuff that you think is going to pay off big in my life to have no payoff. And who would you blame in a situation like that? I think most of us probably go, where are you at? Or this doesn't work. I think it does work, and I think it works exactly like it says it works. I think we ignore the parts that we don't want to hear. Like, if you worry, it chokes the very life of God out of you so that you don't produce fruit in your life. So if you sit here and there's no fruit going on, could it be that worry consumes you? So we're like, I, I just don't know, because, Pastor, back to that verse, Jesus tells us, cast our cares on him, because he cares for us. And I, how do you do that? Well, just let me give you a definition, because cares, they really are like rabbits. They love to multiply. And I, I'm going to, let me see, DJ, want to help me out? You big, strong, strapping man, come up here. Put this backpack on right here. Okay, DJ, I'm going to let you... Here's what I want you to do. When I get you loaded down, I just want you to walk around the sanctuary two, three, four times, or once, whatever you feel like you can do, okay? And you just, just sort of take a stroll around. When you make it around, I'll stop and ask you how you feel. Deal? Okay, so here's what I said. Worries, a single worry is not that big of a deal, right? But they begin to multiply. If you carry one... You don't get to choose only carrying one. One already produces the principle of two, which produces the principle of three. Hold on, bro. Then you have two children. <laughs> then you get a church. How you doing? Yeah? All right, let's have one more kid. Kid wants a car. And then kids have problems. And you got all these nice problems. Oh, man. That is a load, pal. How you doing? Okay. Can you get down okay? Okay. Just walk around, DJ. We'll come back to you in just a moment. Let's go to number three. Number three, dealing with troubles. One, living today. Two, the great exchange. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And I'll show you how it works in just a second. Three, let it go. 
a lot of trouble, now not all trouble, but a lot of trouble comes with the option to decide what you're going to do with it at the time that it happens to you. One of my favorite books that I ever read in my life had one of the most intriguing titles, and the title was simply this, If You Catch Hell, Let It Go. I love that title. How many of you at times have caught hell in your life? You know, the problem is when we catch it, we like to pick it up. We like to hold it. We like to, oh, look at this hell. <laughs> Terry, look how bad my hell is. And as we do that, it begins to grow and multiply on us. And pretty soon, our hell becomes known to everybody, and all we talk about is our hell. You become defined by your hell. You're known for your hell. You feed your hell. You live with your hell. You stroke your hell. You care for your hell. So I'm not being flippant with the word right now. I think troubles, the enemy loves to throw them at us, man. Jesus said it's impossible that offenses don't come, but it's not impossible to let them go. Acts chapter 28, 1 through 5, Paul is doing everything right in his life, man. Loves God, serving him. DJ, how you doing? You want to take that off? Yeah. No. Keep walking. <laughs> it's heavy, isn't it? Didn't feel that heavy at first, huh? You know, when you got strength, you think to yourself, you know what the Bible says? The glory of a young man is his strength. And the glory of an old man is his gray hair or his wisdom. Somewhere along the line, wisdom is learning how to get rid of problems. You doing okay? Keep walking. So Paul's doing everything right in his life, and he's suffering because of it. He's doing exactly what God wants him to do. He's living the life that God called him to live. He's living sacrificially. He's willing to lay everything down. And he has an enemy who hates him, so the enemy is persecuting him. Paul was warned about this prophetically. He went to a church, a New Testament church, and a prophet named Agabus came out and took Paul's belt and bound his hands and bound his feet with it and said, whoever owns this belt. Now remember, he just took it from Paul and binds his feet and his hands. He goes, whoever owns this belt, this is what's going to happen to you if you keep going the direction you're going. Many of us would take that as a word from God. Don't keep going that direction. Here was the problem. God had already told Paul, you're going to suffer for me. So Paul was just being given confirmation to what he was going. So Paul gets on a boat, headed for Rome, and the boat sinks. How many of you know you're having a bad day when? <laughs> it's not just bad enough that you get a word from God that it's going to be bad. It's not bad enough that you're being persecuted, but now the very boat that they're taking you to Rome on to end up in prison sinks. So he swims to the shore, and once he gets on shore, he begins to record the story this way. Say, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire, welcomed all of us because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Again, I want to ask you, how many of you, I mean, just like, you ever just go, how do I get unchosen? When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. Job's comforters. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. 
But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. I remember years ago teaching on the very idea of trouble. I would put it in the revelation of three opportunities to deal with it. When it first hits you, you have the opportunity with God to shake it off, man. God, I'm just going to put this in the right perspective. Stuff happens. I give this back to you. It is not because you're against me. It is not because I've done anything wrong. It is not because I'm living a life in contrary. God, I'm giving this right back to you right now. I shake this thing off. I trust you. You're in control of my life. Or then there's level two. The poison hits him, and he doesn't shake it off, and it begins to invade his body. Then you go to a doctor, and it takes a little more. Things have to be cut out of you. Surgery has to happen at that point. So maybe it's counseling at that point. Maybe it's a lot of prayer at that point. Maybe it's the necessity to go through forgiveness. I don't know, whatever it is. God can still use that. Last but not least, then, there's the bitterness. And when bitterness hits your life, man, now you're talking where God has to do deliverance to get you out of it. Are you done carrying that burden? You're done? Yeah. I was hoping, I did not set this up. I was hoping you do that very thing right there and just say, I'm done carrying. You know what? Nobody told you to come up here, did they? Dude, your neck is tight. Wow. That is, that is a heavy burden. Can I help you? Yes. Let me help you carry this thing. Take this off, man. You know, these are real problems. Some real issues there, aren't they? How about this? How about you leave these here? We both know they're real. We both know they're heavy. We both know that trying to carry it, you're not going to get it done. Maybe you can do it for a day, but if you have to carry that all night and tomorrow, I bet the life in you starts getting sucked out. And I bet you get worn out, and I bet you get frustrated. I bet ultimately, DJ, you can't carry that load right there. I bet your body breaks down. I bet your spirit breaks down. I bet it's a load that you were never designed to be able to shoulder. And there's really only one issue with it. You've got to take it off and you've got to give it to somebody else, don't you? That's the exchange. That's what you do with problems. Listen, they're real. This is not a denial of them. This is not like, hey, I have faith, so I deny that there's any type of trouble in the world. That's not faith. That's stupidity. Real faith is not denying that there are troubles. Real faith is taking your troubles to God and saying, I can't carry this. You've got to carry this for me. And then here's the invitation. Before we even ask, Jesus has already said, cast your cares on me because I care for you. I wonder how many of us take advantage of that option. I wonder how many men in this road, this room, walk this road and have done it for years of their life carrying this stuff, and you're spiritually wiped out. I wonder how many women, let me do this, wives, try to help their husbands carry this load, and you're both wiped out, and you're frustrated with each other, and you're tired of all the problems. There's an Old Testament scripture that makes me laugh every time I read it. One of the plagues when Moses went to Pharaoh were the frogs. You remember? Frogs invaded Egypt. They were everywhere, in their beds, in their baths. Everywhere they walked were frogs. Moses comes to Pharaoh, says, let the people go. Pharaoh, his heart is temporarily softened. He goes, okay, I'll do it, but you've got to take this plague of frogs away. Moses goes, okay, when do you want me to do it? And Pharaoh goes, this time tomorrow. Make those frogs go away. If I was asked the question, here's what I would have said. Right 
now. Make those frogs go away. You get the silliness of that? About this time tomorrow. Why would you carry it one more day? Why would you walk with it one more moment? What have you got to prove? What are you trying to do? Where's your head at? No, I'm being serious with you right now. And if I snap you to attention, I do not apologize. Where's your head at? Why would you walk with all that stuff on your life one more day? Why would you walk with all the crap from a divorce one more day? Why would you walk with all the failure of life one more day? Why would you walk with all the stuff the enemy is throwing at you one more day? Jesus offered you the opportunity to exchange it right now. Cast all your cares on me because I care for you. Here's the great exchange. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take upon you my yoke, for it's easy and it's light. Wouldn't you do it? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow, Pastor. Wow. And you know what's really funny? Some of you right now are more upset that I said crap than the fact you're going to walk out of here and carry stuff for one more day. Hmm. Under the idea of letting it go, I wrote down this sentence. Sometimes humility is the price of peace. Sometimes when we're dealing with things in our life, sometimes it's just simple humility. It's admitting that you can't do it, that you don't have an answer, that you can't carry it, asking for help, owning up to the fact that, hey, I'm only human, whatever it is. Humility is the price of peace. Here's what I know. I've done this now going into my 28th year full-time ministry. I want you to listen to me. I'm not talking as a novice. I'm talking as a man who's done this with his whole life. Listen to me. What I know is that some people's pride is so big, they won't pay the price for peace. And they live with this stuff day after day after day. So my guys asked me, what's the into the message. What's the ministry time? How do you set that up? And I said, I'm not sure. When I get there, it'll be self-evident because I'm going to ask people to make the great exchange. For some of you, the cost of the exchange is going to be humility. The willingness to say to God, I give up. Can't do it. Can't carry it. It's too much. Can't fix it. Can't make it go away. Can't run from it. Can't deny it. Need to deal with it. Take it. I recognize not everybody that hears the message this weekend is in the same place. If it's not a message that you feel like qualifies for where you are right now in life, hang on to it. Fair enough? 
remember it. But if it does speak to you, man, if you're going through something where you're just like, God, if you only knew, <laughs> I know. The need to live in today, to take advantage of God's grace because it's only available today, right now. The need to exchange anxiety and the ability just to let things go. If you find yourself at any one of those three places at any of our campuses or while you're listening online or maybe you hear this a week from now, I don't know. But however you end up in the sound of my voice, if it applies to your life right now, what do you want to do with it? That's how we set our whole services up. Every campus, every time, is to come to the end of it and not have someone just go, okay, now you heard the message, have a good day. It's to engage God so that the reality of the gospel, the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel is not words. It's power. It's not just teaching. It's a demonstration of power. God is here to do what his word says. And if it's being choked out of you, Maybe it's the very issue we're talking about right here. So what will you do with it? So our worship pastors will come and they'll get ready to close out all of our services right now. I thought maybe what would be good at all of our campuses this weekend, that while our worship pastors enter into this first song, maybe rather than get up and just respond to communion or respond to the crosses or sing or our mind starts going on to where we'll be in an hour or what we need to get back to or what we're going to do later tonight. Maybe just what we need to do this weekend is just allow God the opportunity to engage us where we are. And maybe one of those three things is relevant. Maybe all three of them are relevant. Maybe there's something God would speak to you, but maybe you could walk out of this room with the assurance that he does care for you and that you can lay your burden on him. I don't know where you'd find yourself in that mix. I'm going to let you decide that. I just asked the question, what do you want to do with it now that you've heard it? But during this first song at all of our campuses, let's just sit. Second song, all worship pastors, why don't you at that point, the beginning of the second song, go ahead and direct into communion, direct into using the different elements that we have for people to engage God physically. But right now, just, just in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, just sit there for a minute, listen to what's being sung, and talk to God about where you are on this issue and what you need. Maybe even the thing that sticks in you, it seemed to me when I said it, it just where the Holy Spirit would maybe put his finger that if you're so weighed down with stuff, so focused on tomorrow, you probably haven't been there for the people who need you most. Maybe it's a time for you to say, I need to be there. I need to, God, help me so that I can be there for them and they can be there for me. That may be a significant issue right now for many people that are dealing with trouble. Father, I ask you just to take this message and this time and what's been taught, what's been said. God, I know it's received and going to be dealt with through many different years, many different channels this weekend. God, I ask you to take it and do what you want to do with it right now. As your people, we're willing to respond to what you say. We're willing to respond to what you say, God. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. So let's listen to this.